TJ Lavin is here and you better not try to quit in front of him. Plus, Derek goes all out. Kina makes a name for herself. Alton and Landon put on athletic performances for the ages. Beth still can't find any friends. The idea of an alliance nearly breaks a team apart. And one newcomer absolutely cannot handle the heat and leaves Tobago in a hurry. It's the Challenge Gauntlet 2 full rewatch and recap podcast coming at you right now. What up, my fellow challenge lovers? Welcome to The Challenge Historian, where we dive deep into all things the challenge, past, present, or future. If it's happening in the challenge universe, then we are here to document it. I am your host and dedicated challenge historian, Jacob Hollibaugh. Thank you so very, very much for being here with us today. On today's podcast, we are continuing the rewatch series with season number 11, The Gauntlet 2 a.k.a. T.J. Lavin's first season as the host, so you could say a brand new era of the challenge, a more finalized version of the show has commenced. We'll be breaking down the entire thing, same as we always do, talking about the state of the challenge and evolutions the show made, going through some of the biggest storylines of the season, handing out awards to showcase the best of the best, crowning a full season MVP, and of course, giving the season its official grade to place it in the challenge pantheon for all time. Before we do, though, quick programming notes. This is the first of three podcasts this week. I will be back again tomorrow, Wednesday, July 6th, to break down the All-Stars 3 finale, discuss the newly crowned winners, and then back again the next day, Thursday, July 7th, to talk the premiere episode of The Challenge USA, which will air tomorrow, Wednesday night on CBS, and then stream on Thursday on Paramount+. Plus. And speaking of the Challenge USA, if for any reason you are still not prepared for that season and missed the podcast preview I did last week, go check it out. The absolutely wonderful page from Most Likely 2 joined me to help initiate me into the CBS reality world in who these people are. Paige is so, so, so great and is also, by the way, celebrating her one-year podcast anniversary today with a special, huge, big-time interview with none other than Lolo Jones herself. That is a conversation I know I don't want to miss. So show our first ever guest some love with a follow. Check out our joint USA preview from last week if you still need to get prepared for that premiere in a day or two, as well as listen to that Lolo Jones interview. Finally, we will maybe possibly get, we've got a little of Lolo's side of what happened on the Double Agents saga with her, but we'll get the full inside story. Can't wait to hear that. With that, one final thing. I cannot say enough how much I appreciate all of you listening and watching these podcasts, sending me feedback on them. It has been great to hear from a bunch of you over the last few weeks, and I would love to continue those interactions. Get any commentary you may have. So if you want to get in touch, head over to Instagram and DM me at Challenge Historian. I make sure to respond to all messages as long as it's something beyond you suck. So let me know what you think, ideas, hot takes about the challenge, you name it, I want to hear it. And if you have been enjoying these podcasts, the best way to let me know that and help spread the word is dropping one of those five-star reviews or ratings on it, whether you're using Spotify or Apple Podcasts or really anywhere else. 
All of these platforms have rating systems now, and especially Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Those ones are very, very important, and those are the way to get me a big help to get me in front of and discovered by more and more challenge lovers like yourself. So drop a five-star rating if you've been loving everything you're hearing. DM me on Instagram if you got something challenge-related you want to talk about or ideas to how to better this podcast. Let me know. Thank you so much for being here. I hope to hear from a bunch of you. And now let's get ready for a big week in the challenge world. We've got a finale. We've got a premiere. But We've also got a rewatch. We got to talk Gauntlet 2. So let's fly on down to Trinidad and dive on in to TJ Lavin's first ever season as host. To begin our coverage, let's start high level as we always do and kind of get our brains wrapped around where we were at this time, where, where literally in the world, where in the calendar we were, what was going on with the challenge and its auxiliary shows and just kind of everything at the highest level before we dive on in into details. So let's start with the state of the challenge. At at this particular time, this season airs December 2005 to March 2006. So it's filming in 2005. And at this point, the challenge is an absolute monster franchise just rolling along, just absolutely crushing it. They're producing stars every season. They've got a stable of stars that they've had back over and over in every new rookie class, every new real world class of characters they're bringing in is hitting and hitting. They're on you know multiple seasons in a row at this point of uh, finding some real diamonds with each new casting person that they're bringing in. And they've now moved into the second decade of seasons. By that, I mean second, you know, season numbers. We're now season 11. We're teens versus, you know, not actual years yet. We're not a decade into the show being on air quite yet, but we're honestly getting pretty darn close. And yet again, we're, you know, on the two to almost two and a half seasons per year. This one, the confidence of how much it's rolling along now, it starts in December 5th, 2005. And there is literally an episode the day after Christmas and New Year's. They don't take days off for holidays or weeks off for holidays because they know they have such a big hit on their hands. People are going to watch. Fans are tuning in. It don't matter if it's Christmas, New Year's, anything else. This thing takes breaks for no one. So it's an absolute juggernaut at this point. And the other thing with it is it is still though finding its its footing, not to the extent of it found its footing as a franchise, as a powerhouse, as a show that was going to have a lot of legs for a lot of years. But finding now its true footing, its final form, because it does still have those huge competitors out there still like they ever have gone away. They still haven't to this day, but of a survivor, a big brother, an amazing race, some other shows starting to pop up and try to compete with kind of the big four of reality competition series. But those other shows had a little bit more while, you know, the challenge starts first. It's just as successful as any of them, not named Survivor. If we're being really, really honest, Survivor I just went, you know, it was in its own stratosphere for a good while there. And this is certainly around that time where that maybe starts to dip for the first time ever. But uh, those three shows, they all have a little bit more of a tried and true formula where the challenge has been a little bit more experimental through its first 10 seasons. You know, we've talked to evolution season by season of all the different stuff that has went down. So they're still trying to find that quote unquote final form, if you will, going into this season and the things that kind of are part of that. They're still trying to find that host. And obviously we know since this happened in the past that they do find that long-term host in TJ Lavin with this season, but they're still looking to have kind of that host 
who is the face of the show. They're looking for a little bit more of a formula for the episodes, which they find on this season. And while they know that, I'm sure they know behind the scenes, the format will always change. There'll be tweaks to it here and there. They're still kind of searching for what is the base structure of our game, that the challenge is known to be. The format could switch on top of that, but what is kind of the foundation of the game, of the challenge, the way some of those other shows have, even with tweaks and twists and all kinds of stuff, have a kind of base. You go there and this is what you do. This is the general idea of what's going to happen. So they're trying to find, you know, tinker around. The evolutions are slowing down. We're going to talk about those in a moment, but they're looking for that final form. And then finally, their two feeder systems we got to touch on, as was the case with the season prior to this. Real World is still burning bright as ever. This is the same year that Real World Austin and Key West are filming. None of them have yet showed up. They will be showing up in the next season. We are still working with the Real World Philadelphia, the pre, the most recent Real World cast to have come in the second season now with some Real World Philadelphians popping in as rookies and second years for some of them. Road Rules still on hiatus, still essentially dead. There would be the one more season as it's revived here in the next year of this in this calendar frame, this time frame. But at this point, Road Rules is dead. Real World's burning bright as ever. The challenge is burning bright as ever. It's a juggernaut. It's rolling along, and it's just trying to find where is that final, that finalized form that we could continue to vary off of. But let's let's finish the foundation of this show. That is kind of what I feel like the Gauntlet Two really is. It's we're we're finally, you know, we've rented a few places, we've looked at a few properties, we've considered building this or that, and now. We are solidifying. This is the foundation of the show. We're going to build all kinds of stuff on the different on the top of that, but we're going to finalize that foundation and have that to roll forward with. On to the basics of this show. Let's just go look, complete our high-level view before we get into evolutions here. The, the quick basics, as we said before, December 2005 to March 2006, that is when this airs. It's films in summer 2005. Before that, TJ Lavin is here as the host. We will talk a lot about that throughout this podcast. Obviously, a massive, massive deal. TJ's very first season. They are in Trinidad and Tobago, Mostly in Canoe Bay, which is where the uh, the the site of many, many, many of the daily challenges, um, but in Trinidad and Tobago for the entirety of the season in quite a hell of a house, one of the early amazing challenge houses, we should say. There are 17 episodes plus a reunion, so 18 in full, and there are 32 cast members broken up, as we will talk about momentarily, into rookies and veteran teams those 32 cast members, as quickly as we can run through all of them here, are Anissa from Real World Chicago, David from Real World Seattle, Julie from Real World New Orleans, Katie from The Quest, Mark from First Adventure, Robin San Diego, Timmy Second Adventure, Derek Extreme, Brad San Diego, Beth from LA, Cyrus from Boston, Montana from Boston, Ace from Paris, Ruthie from Hawaii, Yasella and Adam from The Quest. Then on the other squad, you got Alton from Las Vegas, Abyss from Extreme, Jamie from New Orleans, Jody and Keen from Extreme, Landon and MJ from Philadelphia, Randy from San Diego, Susie from Down Under, Jillian from Extreme, Jeremy and Kara from South Pacific, Adam from Paris, Danny from Extreme, Cameron from San Diego, and Joe Rhodes from Real World San Francisco. Those are your 32 contestants who met in Trinidad to compete with TJ Lavin hosting. And that moves us into the evolutions, the first, the history, 
What changed with this season, our final of the kind of outer layer of the onion that is the challenge to the gauntlet two here? Let's talk evolutions. Let's talk history made challenge first. In the first and obvious one, the first that has to be mentioned with this season is the one we've already mentioned multiple times over. TJ Lavin is here. Welcome to beautiful Trinidad and Tobago. I'm your host. My name is TJ Lavin. I'm a professional BMX dirt jumper. TJ Lappin is one of the greatest dirt jumpers to ever walk the face of the earth. Besides a BMX biker and our host is a sexy, sexy stud. You guys are probably all wondering why you're standing on this barge. This is your first challenge. Our host for the entirety rest of the future of the challenge, the challenge host, we have found him with thanks to Mark Long and Eric Neese and Johnny Mosley and Dave Mira. TJ is now here, and while we don't know it in the moment, he's here for good. He will become and is the host of the challenge, the only host that this show will ever that will ever get the title of truly the host of the challenge, whether he does it forever or there's other hosts in the future and future versions or how long it goes on. TJ Lavin is the host of the challenge. He is the face of the challenge in that respect. So he is here. That is a huge evolution, changing that over and kicking that off. And it's a huge first season for him. It is also the beginning of the TJ Hates Quitters saga. It is almost the whole thing here. I mean, there's a couple epic ones in the future, but you're reminded on rewatch watching this how much people quitting played a part in this. And TJ kind of riffing on how much he didn't like the quitting played a part in this season. So TJ's here and TJ hating quitters is born early and often in his first season. The next evolution then, the format of the show changes completely. We have tried real world versus road rules. We have done the women versus men. And most recently, we've done the badasses versus the good guys. So for our third straight sequel season, we get our second straight brand new team-based format, which is rookies versus veterans. However, the rookie team is not all first-timers. It is anyone who has done zero or one seasons before. So most of their team is actually on their second season. Four of them are on their first. One of them, interestingly enough, Jamie Murray, is on his third. And how he ended up on the rookies team versus the veterans team, I do not know. I I hope to dig into that and maybe find out from the man himself here in the near future. And if I do, I will certainly maybe put a little post up on Instagram about that in the stories or reels or something of that nature. But it is very odd that one a two-time champion at that. It's not that he says that he's done the show two times before. He's also won the show two times before, and somehow he ends up on the rookies team. But everyone else on the vets team is either three or more seasons. We split down the middle. Same men and women on both sides. Next evolution then is another formatting evolution, and that is where we've tried the other team pick someone from your team to send in. We've tried your team pick someone to send in. We've tried pretty much every mixture of who ends up in the elimination arena, this version obviously called the gauntlet, but we have never done anything that they do here, which is they pick captains or they play for captainship day one, moment one, minute one of the whole show before they even go to the house, unknowns to them that those captains will then be required to either 
If you are the captain of the winning team in a daily challenge, you get a sweet little prize, usually amounting to $1,000 with some company. If you are the losing team's captain, you're going into the gauntlet. And both teams, eventually, while it's a team decision who goes against you, it does turn mostly into that person then picks their opponent. Uh, Three quarters of them really go with that strategy. So captains going into the gauntlet and a captainship and the fact that as it turns out, we end up with, you know, Kina, Alton, and Derek all going into a lot of gauntlets over and over and over again. That is a big evolution, a change in the game, one that we don't really see again at any point in the future, putting one person truly in charge of this large team. It happens a few times in the future just by the way the teams work and someone stepping up and kind of taking a leadership, but indirectly, not a direct TJ and the production saying, this person, you are in charge, you're the captain, you're the one that's getting prizes, you're the one going into the gauntlet, your ass is on the line always, every single time. The next big evolution then, or more kind of a first, not so much an evolution, but a first in challenge history. Trivia has been around for a little while now. We love trivia. At this point, we know and love trivia. It's almost always the best daily challenge. We already know that. But while TJ's here, obviously TJ loves trivia, we don't get TJ doing a trivia daily yet, but we do, for the first time ever, get trivia within an elimination, which is a nice little twist on a beloved challenge staple already. The other big evolution then is with the daily challenges, and that is heights over water, and specifically an apparatus hanging over the water 20 to 30 feet in the air, and the daily challenges taking place on top of some apparatus over the water becomes an absolute mainstay. It would go on from this point to, you know, that is when you think of just, if someone says a daily challenge on the challenge, you're thinking of there's some contraption hanging over water. They're doing something on it. They're jumping from one thing to another. They're climbing around it. They're knocking people off. They're racing back and forth. They're, they're doing something on top of a big old crane held up apparatus on top uh, over the water. That really starts in earnest with this season. Five of the final eight daily challenges take place in the same canoe bay with the same crane holding some crazy contraption in the air and them having to do something on top of said contraption. This is the first time. It's not the first time there has been a contraption held over water, but it is definitely, you can see all of the, you know, the hundred daily challenges that end up being like this in the future. You can see it happening right here before your eyes in this season, that that becomes the main, the mainstay where, you know, half the daily challenges are like that. And it'll stay that way for a long, long time into the future. The next and final real evolution then, before we touch a couple stats, final evolution is the episodic formula. This is the first season they've gotten close to it a little bit before, and certainly previous seasons have had a formula to their episodes, but this is the first one where they get all the way to and then follow every episode of the season up until the very last, other than literally episode one and two, there's a cliffhanger with Joe leaving. Episode 16 and 17, they push the elimination round into the beginning of episode 17. Otherwise, every episode in between follows the same formula. We're at the house for two or three minutes. We're at the daily challenge for six to eight minutes. We're in the deliberation room for two to three minutes. We're at the gauntlet for two to three minutes. We're saying our goodbyes and maybe going back to the club for two or three minutes. It's the same formula every episode after one after the other. House, daily, deliberation, gauntlet, house. That's what you get. The daily is taken up, you know, 
a third of the episode, the gauntlet is taken up, you know, maybe a quarter of the episode, the rest of the time is split evenly between them. And you're getting it every single episode, no matter what's going down in the house, what storylines are going down. We're getting that every single time. We're knocking one person out per episode. That would become kind of the base of, of a challenge episode for a lot, a lot of seasons. Not every season since has followed it exactly. They've, and they've also definitely in recent seasons gotten a little more into what if we drag one round, if you will, one daily in elimination, a round, round out over three episodes, and then we pump two in, you know, quicker, or there's more, you know, two part episodes, things of that nature. But for the most part, the formula from this point on in the challenge world is we're at the house, we do a daily, we're at the house deliberation, we do an elimination, we have a brief moment after the elimination. That is the formula. It is found in this season and it is used every episode basically through the entire season. Final thing then, let's talk a couple stats because we do get a little bit of history made in this season, across this season, the big one, one of the big ones. Beth becomes the first person to quit a challenge twice. Uh, What do you know? Beth making challenge history with her second quit season in a row. um, And, uh, you know, won't even be her last, really, uh, which is crazy to say out loud. But the first person never quit twice. So that's history being made there. We get Derek and Alton get up to four elimination wins, which ties them together for second most ever at this point in challenge history behind the gauntlet legend herself, Sarah Grayson. Timmy, Jamie, and Mark make their third ever final, putting them in a tie for second behind the group of folks who has made four straight, but they all join the three-time finals club. Jamie joins Darrell and Veronica as three-time champion, moves up to that tied for first. Jamie, Murray, Darrell, Veronica, three-time champions, the most decorated challenge players of all time. After this season, Mark and Landon joined the two-time champion club with this season, and that puts that club at 10 total people. First time that is crossed into the double digits. And then also a little bit under the radar, but worth pointing out, Randy Berry now, after this season, has the highest daily challenge win percentage of all time at this point. Minimum 20 daily challenges required because there is obviously, especially with the couple Battle of the Sexes seasons, there's a few males out there who are only, you know, on four, five, six episodes and were technically won all the dailies they were a part of. But if you make the minimum 20 daily challenges competed in, therefore, you know, weeding it out to people who have been there for two long seasons, maybe parts of three or four seasons. Randy Barry at 63%. He has won well over half of the daily challenges he has been a part of over Abram and Holly Shand close behind him. So those are some statistical history that was made this season. Jamie Murray also moves up into third all-time on the money list. Landon moves up to fifth all-time in the money list. He is now two for two, two seasons in, two championships, two incredible athletic performances from him. That's your evolutions. That's your history. That's kind of the basics of the season, the high level where we were. Now we've peeled back that first layer of this season. Let's dive on in deeper. Let's get down to the nitty gritty and talk about the biggest storylines that took over this entire season of The Gauntlet 2. Storylines of the season. This one is a bit of an interesting season to try to pin down what the what the biggest storyline is, the biggest few storylines are that go, you know, for the the entirety of the show. This season really is at the end of the day about the competition almost more than we've ever really seen. I mean, the you know, the biggest 
if you really want to try to say what are the over you know the overarching big storylines it's the whole idea of the captains having to go into the gauntlet and it's you know Derek's run on the show and Alton and Kina going wire to wire on the other side we will talk a little bit about that in a second but that's that is kind of the dominant storyline there's you know the Rome because of the formula of the episodes there isn't as much time for other storylines outside of ex- what exactly is happening in the game itself to really breathe a whole lot. We get a few here, you know, there's romance here and there, and they come and go for an episode or two. Randy and Keena get a little more spotlight just because they're both there the whole time, but that's also kind of enveloped in the whole, they're just nervous at all times because they're together and she's a captain and either one could go home at any time and that whole thing. So it is kind of the most you know, uh, sport or contest focused challenge season we've probably had to date, but that doesn't mean that there aren't some storylines that we do need to talk about. And the first one, the obvious one, the big one is the very first one of the season. It is what takes up the first episode and a half of the season. Really, it is probably it's certainly going to be nominated for the most iconic moment of the season. Uh, we will see later on if it wins it, but it's what happens at the end of episode one, night one in the house. Joe Rhodes, rookie from Real World San Francisco. She, who was the replacement for Puck on Real World San Francisco, comes into the challenge world. She gets there. They find out day one. There's a bit of a twist. One of the, TJ literally starts his entire challenge career with a twist by announcing you're doing a daily challenge now. It's called Royal Rumble. The goal is to get captains, a male and female captain for both teams. They do this, and Joe, her team, the female side of her team at least, goes the same way as the veteran males go. They play rock, paper, scissors. They decide not to fight each other for the captainship. They're not sure. They all assume being the captain's a positive thing, but... They eventually play rock, paper, scissors. Joe wins. She becomes the captain. And then TJ drops the bomb on them that, guess what? Captains, you can win some prizes. That's pretty cool. But also, if you lose on a female day, the female captain is going into the gauntlet. No bones about it. Male gauntlet, you're going in if you're the losing male captain. And Joe is not thrilled by this. She is the only one that has a, you know, they all have a bit of a reaction to this, the four captains that are, uh, chosen or appointed or one captainship at that point but she is the only one that has a very visual reaction on her face she is you know not thrilled about this idea they go to the house they learn the captains get their own room they get their big beds they're not in the bunk beds with everyone else they're in their own room for full size maybe queen size maybe beds to themselves in night one, there's a huge party. Mark Long's birthday. Robin throws him a big party. Everyone's having a great time. Everyone goes out. They come back. They have a hot party at the house. Everyone's get going wild, except for one person, and that is Joe. She is off by herself. She's on the computer at times. She gets fed up with the whole party. She goes outside. She calls her dad on the phone, says, you know, these people are all just debaucherous. I can't believe I'm here. I can't believe what I'm a part of. And while she's outside, Derek... Gotta love him. Derek, you know, he loves, we've learned from past seasons, Derek loves a good challenge house party. He gets, uh, he, you know, gets himself properly all partied out, has to lay down for a minute, goes into the captain's quarters, ends up laying down on Joe Rhodes' bed. And while he's there, some others decide, why not go squirt chocolate sauce on Derek? Great idea, of course. They go to eventually do that. They eventually just wake him up. They all leave the room. Chocolate sauce ends up on the floor. It does not end up on the bed. It does not at least appear to end up on the bed in any way, but it does end up on the floor. 
Joe comes back in, already possibly with thoughts of leaving the show, quitting the show. When she discovers the sauce, she discovers the, the party still raging. And out of nowhere, she just loses it. She just goes absolutely berserk. She can't handle it. She wants everyone to leave her alone, everyone to get out of her face. She's going to pack. She's going to leave. She thinks this place is a nightmare and is everyone's nuts. Ruthie is, you know, God bless her. Ruthie's like, what's going on? And kind of like, talk to me, say something to me. Come on, like explain yourself. Joe tells her to get off. It leads to lots of threats of don't touch me. I'm calling the police, this, that, and the other. She does call the police. The police eventually come escort her out for her safety or something. And, uh, and she's never seen again. And that is the cliffhanger end of the first episode and the opening of the second episode. It's a huge deal. It's a memorable, memorable moment in the history of the challenge. You know, people have quit before. No one had ever quit in this manner before, in this style before. Um, people have got certainly gotten upset at others partying while they were maybe not interested in being a part of that lifestyle. That has happened. Not There's never been a reaction like this before or even really totally since, you know, her call to the police to say, you know, she's getting assaulted on the island of Tobago is, you know, one for the ages and should be said because I just used that word. She was not uh, the only person who ever touched her anyway, physically touched her in any way was Ruthie who occasionally, you know, put her hands on her arms to say like, Joe, will you please speak to me? Will you tell me you're packing your bags, you're yelling, you're, you know, all this stuff. Just, can you tell me why? Can you, can you give me any, any details as to what's actually happening right here? I'm trying to be your friend. So uh, it's a wild, crazy situation, and it kicks off a season full of people quitting. She is the first one, and by far the one with the biggest fireworks. Um, it is super-duper memorable. It leads to Kina then becoming as the second-placed woman during the Royal Rumble for the rookies, becoming the captain and doing that. Wire to wire, touch on that in a minute, but... Joe freaking out and going home is certainly one of the most memorable, if not the most memorable moment from the entire season. It happens episode one. It comes out of nowhere. She, uh, you know, she recently did a podcast with Mike Lewis on the Mike Lewis podcast. Definitely worth listening to, to, you know, kind of walk through what actually happened. What, you know, we only see, as we've already said, these very formulaic episodes. We don't get a lot of this. We kind of just see this big, long freak out and we don't, we know that it's led into it. We're led to believe it's just purely because everyone else is partying and she's fed up with it. We don't totally know. But so if you want to hear her entire story about that, go check her interview out on the Mike Lewis podcast. But that is that's story nine, line number one of the season. But it's it's here and gone very, very quickly. And because we're on the uh, the topic of quitters, let's just move right into the second storyline of the season, which is that TJ Lavin hates quitters. TJ has himself a hell of a season. As his first year hosting, he has a lot of kind of moments of like, holy cow, what did I maybe get myself into? But the TJ Lavin hates quitters uh, theme comes in strong in this season because quitting becomes a theme. We start obviously with Joe quits the first episode. TJ doesn't get to give any sort of monologue or speech about that. He is not there for any of that happenings. But he is there when the other three people who quit, quit. Two and a half uh, people who quit, quit. First, we get in the third episode, Cameron quits. She gets uh, volunteers for the gauntlet. She goes in. She says, you know, I don't want to compete. I don't, I don't want to possibly knock Ruthie or uh, Kina out of here. And so she quits, and TJ makes it known immediately up front that that ain't cool by him. 
So take it very seriously. I'm sure you guys will. <laughs> you ain't gonna let me down. So uh, get get laced TJ, up. Okay, we're going to let you down because I. Sorry, this is not gonna be very interesting, everybody. But I am succumbing. No, no, no! You can't do that. This is the gauntlet. They don't go like that. Get it laced up. Let's go. Come on. Get your harness on. Get your helmet. Get your helmet. Come to the gods of the gauntlet, and I'm gonna forfeit myself. Well, somebody gotta get that flag. I'll get the flag. Tina's gonna get the flag. I'll get the flag. All right, we well, go ahead. Hey, before she gets started, is there anybody else that wants to quit? I just want to know right now because it's letting me down. It's letting me down. Y'all are letting me down. No, no, no. Is anybody else just want to go home? Because this is a competition. You know, some people got competitive spirit. Let's go. Then two episodes later, next women's gauntlet later, we get Yasella versus Ruthie. And yes, does Yasella compete? She does. But does Yasella maybe not give it her all? Yes. Also, quite clearly doesn't exactly give her top-notch effort. TJ sees this and calls that out for from her as well. All right, girls, Ruthie, you handled it like a champ. Way to go. Good job. Congratulations. Yeah, way to carry my big You're ass. remaining the captain. Isella, I couldn't be more disappointed in you. Shut up. I'm tired of seeing quitters. The women are disgracing the gauntlet so far. I'm just telling the truth. Two women gauntlets, and they both quit. You gave up. I did not. She go home. You got 20 minutes to get your stuff. Get out of here. That then leads to you'd think, okay, he's you know, he said that two different people, you know, three two people have full on quit. A third has more or less given themselves up to allow Ruthie to stay, although, you know, not to allow Ruthie to stay, to not make Ruthie do a full blown, full fledged gauntlet to stay. I think Ruthie would have won that one either way. But you would think after all this, it's gotta be done, right? We get it. TJ, you don't like quitters. Yeah, maybe some of the people willing, not that interested in being here in the beginning have weeded themselves out. It's got to be over, right? Far, far from it. Because then there's Beth. And Beth in episode seven has to go up against Ruthie. And she starts by saying, I don't think I really want to do this. My team doesn't want me to be captain. I don't think I want to be here. And so I don't know that I'm going to compete. And in a major what if for this season in general and for the, the challenge careers of a Ruthie and a Beth in general, TJ kind of pushes Beth into doing it. He kind of, you know, gets on her and says, like, what, what do you mean? Like, yes, of course you're doing it. He convinces her to not only do it during the entire thing, he ends up cheering Beth on, which is wild. You either remain the champion or you become the new one. You want the captain or what? <laughs> are you going to throw the nice gauntlet or are you going to do this? I would much rather just like walk away from the whole situation. We are all thinking like, is Beth going to do this gauntlet? Is she going to back down? Can she please back down so we can save Ruthie? My team obviously doesn't want me and I don't want to be a part of some like negativity. You know how I feel about quitting, no, Beth. You can't quit on this. This is the gauntlet, all right? Come on, do this. Come on, let's go. That's it, Beth, that's it, dig. Gonna be the next team captain, Beth. Beth wins. She knocks Ruthie out. Her whole team couldn't be less happy with what is going on. TJ, though, has, has you know, 
made sure no one else quit. He pushed someone who wanted to quit into competing. He motivates them to do give it their all during while they're competing so that he doesn't get a re, you know, rehashing of Yasella. And it's a huge what if. I mean, uh, you know, Ruthie definitely one of the best females in the house on this season, just runs into the wrong gauntlet versus the wrong person. Beth, just on a size and strength, like Ruthie really has no chance in that reverse tug of war elimination where they have to be pulled, pull each other with, you know, they're attached at their by their waist on a bungee cord, pulled to the other side. It's not gonna happen. But if if Beth does quit, if TJ just lets her quit and just, you know, uh reads her the riot act, but tells her to go ahead and just leave, Ruthie as their captain the rest of the way possibly just a fully different outcome for that team and for them you know getting to the end ruthie is someone i could see even at the very end of this season being like no i don't like this strategy we're using for the final that ultimately backfires and costs them so would have been interesting a big what if but beth competes there tj gets her to compete there but then we get down to episode 13 and Beth is now the captain. She has to go back in the gauntlet. She is going to go up against Anissa, who is thrilled to get Beach Brawl, where they can fight it out in the oily sands of the gauntlet. But Beth decides to quit, and this time she's not letting TJ talk her into it. And this time, TJ lets it be known yet again that he is not happy at all. Tonight's gauntlet is Beach Brawl. Basically, the first one to three, three out of five wins. Um, I'm not doing it. Why not? Yeah, you are. Come on, get in there. No, I'm not. No, honestly, I'm not doing it. I'm not going to put oil all over my body and have some bitch fight with somebody. And I think it's very low class, and I have no interest in participating. Go, Captain, represent your team. I will represent my team. Then that's what I'm going to do. She's going to be a great captain. You showed your true colors today, and I'm fully capable, and I accept the position. And if you won't see me in there, sucks. I know you don't want to look like a punk on TV, because you would have. Whatever. I would have killed you in the ring, and you would have been a punk there. You haven't done for our team. You are disease. Good night. I think you're scared. Um, no, I'm not Why scared. Why are you scared of Vanessa? I'm not scared. Well, how come so. you're still here? What do you mean, how come I'm still here? I told you to quit when the other quitters quit. Yeah! Yeah. Yeah. Tell her, T. You're too good for the gauntlet. Go ahead. Get your stuff. 20 minutes. See ya. Bye. So to recap, three people quit, two of which get read the riot act by TJ. A, thir- a fourth person maybe doesn't give it their all in the gauntlet and gets read the riot act by TJ. It's an incredible performance for a guy first season as host to feel comfortable enough to like, hey, like I've got the credibility of being an absolute badass top flight competitor in my particular sport, which is an incredibly dangerous sport, by the way. So I feel totally comfortable telling you all like this is this is pathetic. Like you, you got to try a little harder. You've got to at least try. And it, it, you know, is the birth of TJ hates quitters, which obviously still lives on to this day a little bit more compassionate these days about reasons for quitting. But I don't think any of these scenarios that we see in this season would be treated any differently 10 years prior to this, 10 years after this, this day, modern day, all these people just quit kind of to quit and not for a lot of reasons. There's nothing like I've got to get home because of this. I'm, you know, mentally in a horrible place. I've got this injury, none, nothing, none of that. No real worthy reasons for it's I'm just the one that's going to bow out here. I think it's best for everyone involved. So TJ hates quitters. A lot of people quitting. That really was 
as big a theme, as big of a storyline all season long, because it does go, it's episode one, episode three, episode five, episode seven, episode 13. It's the whole way through. It constantly comes up. And there's even a moment at the very end with Timmy versus Derek, the final elimination of the season. It feels going in like there's a small, slight chance that Timmy's at least thinking about letting Derek win, thinking about, hey, like Derek should be in the final. This is, you know, I feel like that, but he, he ultimately doesn't. He never actually mentions it, but it does feel like he's maybe even leaning that way. So it's a huge storyline throughout the season. And TJ, just to cap off his kind of season here, his life ain't easy this season. He definitely realized early on what he's in for. I think there's an incredible moment, the first uh, elimination between Adam and Derek. If there's trivia questions, and TJ has to read a question that says, what cast member was accused of trying to kill another cast member during a daily challenge? Referencing Julia and Veronica um, you know, up in the safety harnesses, and TJ's face after he reads the question is like, what the fuck? fuck is this show and what did I just get myself into? He becomes the, his referee uh, abilities are called into question throughout the season. Most notably Cyrus versus Derek in the beach brawl. They're both yelling at him. This and that this happened. He touched, I touched whatever we find out in the reunion. And after the fact, Cyrus and TJ almost legitimately like go at it over (laughs) this issue. Uh, We have TJ literally reviewing tape in the final challenge to make the decision that would decide the final challenge for the short ill-fated eating challenge that was the final challenge of the gauntlet too so he's busy as host this season he's got a lot to work with we learn a lot about him as a person as a referee as a host and it's all all so so great Then moving into what we've already touched on a little bit, and that is the captains really, you know, uh, were the dominant theme of the season and the lives of the captains and the runs they all went on. Most notably, Derek just being an absolute beast. Five gauntlets for Derek. He is, you know, at the forefront of everything throughout the season. He wins the initial uh, matchup versus Adam to take the captainship from him. He then loses the final gauntlet to lose the captainship and lose his spot on the veterans team for the finale. So he's in five of the gauntlets. It's it's just a crazy run. He's an absolute beast. He wins the first four. He takes out Adam in Name That Coconut. He takes out Ace in Beach Brawl. He takes out Cyrus in Beach Brawl in a huge moment. We'll talk more about it during the you know best elimination and moment of the season awards in a little bit. He then takes out Brad. Interestingly, in Name That Coconut, yet again gets the captain's choice. Uh, gets to choose the gauntlet game and goes that route for the first time where he had previously chosen beach brawl both times and then loses to Timmy when he himself, Derek, gets to spin the wheel. TJ gives him the honor of spinning the gauntlet game wheel out of respect for how many times he's been there. He gets reverse tug of the war, loses to Timmy, loses that spot. It is the most emotional moment of the entire season is when Derek loses, his entire team is so sad. Both teams are super sad. Everyone acknowledges this guy is the hardest worker here. He wants it more than anyone else. He's such a badass, such a good competitor. The entire both teams are like, This feels weird that we're about to do this final now and that Derek isn't going to be a part of it after the season he has had. So he dominates all the way through, even if he doesn't quite make it there, loses right out at the very end. Same thing, though, as, you know, what Ruthie had against Beth. The reverse tug of war was a real 
of all the of all the gauntlet games they had this season, the one that really comes down to the matchup and just kind of luck of the draw of who you're going against was the reverse tug of the war. Yes, just because you, someone's bigger doesn't guarantee they're going to win that game. But it's a whole b- different ball game when you know Timmy versus Derek. There's maybe a forty pound or more difference in weight there, the strength, and so then if the strength's anywhere near equal, it's just way way harder for Derek to move Timmy than it is for Timmy to move Derek. We see that play out. On the other side, the captains go literally wire to wire, which when you start this season, you hear the format of the game. The captains automatically go into the gauntlet every time their team loses. You would assume there's no way that anyone's getting all the way through this unscathed, and all of them think that from the very start. Alton, you know, becomes the captain's like, oh, this is a bad idea. I might be good at this, but, like, how are you actually going to get to the end? Everyone, I think a few people even comment on there's no possible way that the initial captains are going to be here in the end. Just the odds say that's not going to be possible. But Alton and Kina completely shuck the odds and make it all the way to the end. Alton technically is the only one who goes truly wire to wire, wins Royal Rumble, and is there in the final. But Kina is the captain by the time the first female gauntlet, first female daily challenge rolls around with Joe having quit. So in effect, she also goes wire to wire. The rookie team, so strong, gets their strongest competitors in that captainship from the start. They stay there till the end. Those two are clearly, well, I will say on Kina's side, Kina is clearly the best female player there, and it's it's not really close. Ruthie definitely has, has a shot at or if they would have ever had to go against each other in something, which they wouldn't on different teams. But it's very clear from the outset that Kina came to play. She's an athlete. She's a competitor. She's ready to go. She is just the dominant female player of this season. Alton, similar on the men's side. And the only reason I don't say it as dramatically as I do for Kina is because Landon is still there. And Landon, as we will talk about later, Landon and Alton together are the cream of the crop, the clear, like, holy shit, look how much better they are at this stuff than everyone else, even with a pretty stacked male cast, but all and even above land in this season. This is the season where folks like myself and many others, when watching this, and even after the fact, will comment on Alton, this version of Alton is the greatest athlete that's ever been on the show. Um, Landon's got a case for it here or there. Jordan wisely down the road will have a case to make that he is, but really it is Alton on this season. There's, there's some images. I mean, I'm going to share a bunch of clips on the Instagram and a couple, you know, pictures, individual pictures of Alton just absolutely jacked out of his mind on this season. The climbing ability, the speed, the smarts, the strength, the, the wrestling ability, every, everything about it. It's un, un, unbelievable. And when he's, when he's oiled up for the one beach brawl contest versus Danny, it is a sight to behold at the very least. So the captains dominate all season long. Derek Alton Kina, you know, winning almost all of the gauntlets. Derek comes up just short at the end from getting in to that final challenge. But that is a real theme of the season. It runs, you know, through the whole thing. And the other storyline that runs is short-lived. It's only an episode or two, but relates to is the only kind of drama within the game itself and the game itself is you know the story of the season is such a part as we set started this whole storyline segment off with but the one other thing to talk on is the possible the potential the flirted with cross team cross gender alliance that almost rips the rookie team apart and eventually does cost Kara her game in the gauntlet too and that is when 
It starts with, in episode eight, Jillian approaches Kina to fill her in that, hey, I've been approached by Susie and Kara. I, oh, damn, I did it again. I was going to try to do the entire podcast without it, but I did it again. Kara, it's very hard. Kara Maria comes later on. Kara, spelled the same. And obviously, Kara Maria, top of mind. Anytime you're talking challenge, hard to make sure I get the names right. Many, many apologies to Kara. But Kara and Susie have approached Jillian because they have been approached by David, Timmy, and Brad on the veterans team. Susie, Kara, and Jillian, obviously, on the rookies team. They have been approached with an idea of, hey, what if on the men's days, you three women on the rookies team kind of subtly sort of throw the challenges so that us three guys on the vets team are safe and, you know, you put Alton in there. And then on the women's days, us three guys on the vets team will, you know, slowly, subtly throw the missions to keep you three women safe on your team and we'll happily get rid of the women on our team. Now, there's ulterior motives at play here by the three men, David, Timmy, and Brad, not just to save themselves, but they also look at their team and think, if we ended up getting rid of all the women, we'd be okay with that. That is something that has happened on previous two seasons of this show and seems to be carrying over here. But Jillian takes this information to Kina. It blows up the spot of Susie and Kara. Somehow it doesn't blow up anything on the veterans team. The veterans eventually find out about David, Timmy, and Brad possibly throwing this out there, and none of them seem to care at all. Maybe the women did, and we just don't get to see any of it. Maybe the infighting was more entertaining or interesting on the rookie side, so that's what we get, and we don't see any of it on the vet side. But uh, it seems to do nothing there. But on the rookie side, Jillian is first put on trial. Uh, Kara wants to have multiple group meetings and be like, hey, I'm being made out to be the ringleader of this. The three of us were approached at the same time from the others. We didn't say yes or no. We just listened to the idea and thought it was kind of funny, honestly. And at first you're like, oh my God, Jillian's about to be put on the spot. She's totally screwed. But Kina wants nothing to hear with any of it. She just simply is like, Kara, this is all bullshit. I'm putting all the blame on you. Not cool. Can't have this. Our team needs to be unified. They eventually, uh, Kina gets thrown into the gauntlet. She calls in. Kara takes her out. And that kind of ends it. Susie kind of ingratiates with the rest of the team. Jillian skates by. Eventually gets sent home as well, but not with for anything related to this blow up. But it is the only alliance attempt at all this season. It's a very interesting alliance attempt from trying to do the cross-team, cross-gender. Hey, there's a way to really, you know, save all the women on one side and all the men on one side to work together to save their own asses. It's an interesting idea by David, Timmy, and Brad. It kind of, it, does, it doesn't doesn't blow me away that David's thinking this, this way. It blows me away a little bit. Timmy, uh, one of the kind of OG, let's play fair, let's have fun type of guys, and Brad, Maybe this is Brad after a couple seasons in a row feeling like he got unfairly voted off or voted into elimination thinking, I'm ready to do whatever it takes. I'm ready to get down and dirty and do some shady shit. But it blows up the whole, the whole the, the rookie team. Briefly, they eventually come back together after Kara is sent home. Alton has a team meeting. Alton, the incredible leader that he is this whole season, he is just the best team captain anyone could ever have hoped for. He brings them together, says it's all behind us. Let's move forward. They do. They win most of the challenges. They win the final. They win the whole thing. They they do in the end. It doesn't feel like a dominant, dominant season from them right up until the end, but win nine out of six, win the final. It is ultimately a pretty dominant season from the rookies. And with that, 
that's really all the, the major storylines. Everything else is going to be easily talked about within our awards because so much of it was just about the daily challenges and the eliminations and the performances there within. So without further ado, let's dust off those trophies, shine them up, lay them out, and hand them out. Let's move into the awards. Award number one, the best daily challenge of the season. As we said before in the evolutions, the daily challenges definitely evolve in this season into, as we talked about, the heights over water apparatus held by Crane over water. You're always up climbing across something, jumping across something, you know, whatever it may be. There's a bunch of versions of it this season, but none of them actually end up in of all of those types of daily challenge end up getting nominated for the best of the season the best daily challenge of the season we got four nominees we got royal rumble episode one which is the only single individual based daily challenge of the season the rest are full-blown team events the first one royal rumble basically king or queen of the raft fight each other to push each other off the raft winners become captains two of the heats fight and it is vicious and brutal that is the men on the rookie side the women on the veteran side is an absolute bloodbath it's at night it's raining or storming in the background for parts of it they don't know there's the big twist at the end that the captains now are super duper vulnerable the other two the men on the vet side the women on the rookie side play rock paper scissors it's very eventful. It's a twist that actually works. They nail it from a production side of like, we're going to have a twist. Boom, right there. First thing, first second of the whole show. It is an absolutely great daily challenge. Second nominee, Human Period Pyramid, episode four. As were many of the daily challenges of the season, it comes down to seconds. It's a nail biter right down to the end. You don't know who's going to win, which is the best part of all the dailies this season is while one team won nine out of 15, they're all super duper close. There's so many of them that are just photo finishes the human pyramid just like that. They literally had to build a six-person cheerleader-style human pyramid crawl in that pyramid form down a field and back to retrieve flags. They eventually get to where they're the last one. They've got 15 out of 16. They got to go to the furthest one with the heaviest dude on top of the pile because none of them thought they were going to get that far. The rookies say there's not enough time left to get this. We're going to save ourselves for a tiebreaker. The vets say we can do it. They get down back and they cross the finish line with like three seconds remaining in the time allowed. It's a nail biter. It's great. It's an impressive performance by many most in in particular being Derek and Ace on the veteran side. Third nominee, Spongeworthy, episode five. This is still the heyday of the challenge, trying to find an over-the-top sexualized daily challenge, and Spongeworthy is that one for this season. That is hilarious. They've got three sets of folks per team, some of them with sponges on them that dunk themselves in the ocean to get the sponges full of water. Then they go over and have to press that sponge into another person's body in sponge to collect the water who then runs it over and people are using heads or elbows or feet to then get that water out of the sponge into a bucket. There's heads in between legs. There's people, you know, what look, you know, humping each other's backs to squeeze water from one sponge to another it is purposely sexual, purposely hilarious. It is very, very funny, very, very entertaining. Cyrus is using his his bald head to just get in there and, and sponge out all of the water possible. It's it's comedy. It's theater. 
it's all all great. All the boys have to wear their speedos during it. And there's a really funny speedo montage of them all putting it on and you know feeling a certain way about having to wear them for the episode. It's great. It's nominated for the best daily challenge. And then the fourth and final one, The Pit, episode 14, also nominated mostly because of the athletic performance there within, which we will talk about later. So for now, the best daily challenge, it really... The start of the season, it's where it was all at for this whole season, as you're going to see throughout all these awards. But the best daily was episode one, Royal Rumble. To the other athletic event we go in the best elimination of the season. A season with some damn good ones at that. The game really, really ups the ante here. We spoke on the last rewatch podcast, the Inferno 2, saying they probably had the best eliminations ever to date, even though it was, you know, only the third season of them. This one comes gets right up there with it. I don't know which one I would say has overall better, but this one's way up there too. They're definitely finding their way of how these eliminations can be the kind of, you know, at the forefront of the show, the, you know, high-level entertainment and competition. Four nominees for the best elimination of the season. First one, Episode number two, name that coconut. Derek beats Adam, becomes the captain. This one is, you know, and I love the idea of mixing trivia with wrestling to a degree in the elimination ring. It's an absolute battle between them. It gets dark. They're both, you know, it's neck and neck. They're beating each other up. They're really fighting over those coconuts. Derek ends up pulling out the win. It's a fantastic elimination. That will not be his only nomination. Second one, capture the flag. Alton. Either time, I'm going to go ahead with him beating Adam in episode six because that elimination was a more, it was better. It was it was the first time we saw Alton do this versus the second time versus Jeremy. But both times, Alton just flies up that cargo net. It is insane. Capture the flag. They have to climb 20 feet up a cargo net, grab a flag. They're climbing on the opposite side of the same cargo net, which makes it a little tricky. Alton versus Adam. He picks that one, thinking that will give Adam the best chance of beating him when he knows there's a couple others where size and strength are the name of the game that he would have you know, won much more easily. But he gives Adam his best chance, and it's really no chance at all. Even though afterwards, you know, TJ laments, I didn't think anyone could climb it as fast as you, Adam, did, let alone as fast as Alton got up that thing. It's amazing. Capture the flag. Episode 6, nominated for the best elimination of the season. Same with episode 15, the final female gauntlet of the season. Sticky situation. Kina beats Jillian in an absolute battle brutal battle now it was never really in question but that doesn't mean that both women didn't put up a huge fight and weren't tackling each other choke slamming each other all kinds of gnarly stuff this one sticky situation they have to there's three tennis balls it's offense defense it's a little like balls in same rules basically but instead of putting a ball in uh in like a trash receptacle style thing in the center you have to place a velcro tennis ball on a board behind the defender and Kina just routinely runs over Jillian, twice knocks Jillian's head into the metal hanging board as she slaps the ball up on it. It's brutal. It's a great fight between them. And uh, it's a complete and utter headbanger. Episode 15, Siggy situation, Kina beating Jillian, gets a nominee. But none of those three have any chance of beating the elimination of the season, bar none, Derek beating Cyrus in Beach Brawl, episode 10. Derek's done Beach Brawl once before. Beach Brawl, you oil yourself up, 
and it is just sumo wrestling. You're in a small ring in the sand. You got to push the other person out. First person to touch outside of the ring loses that round. The other person gets a point. First to three points wins. And Derek's done it once before. He's done it versus Ace. And he beats Ace, and everyone realizes, oh, this guy's got some wrestling. He's got the heart. He's a competitor. He's strong. All this. They learn everything they need to learn about Derek. But then Derek gets captain's choice, and he knows he's going up against Cyrus. And he takes a moment. He thinks about it, and he says, I want Beach Brawl again. And everyone is stunned. Cyrus is a big boy, a whole lot of man, as he would say. And Derek, fighter that he is, scrapper that he is, the heart that he's got, He is much smaller than Cyrus, and people think that was a bad decision. This might be over quick, and it is not at all. Derek absolutely dominates Cyrus. It is a battle. There is a lot of contention over who touches out first as they each tackle each other out a couple different times, who actually lands, whose hand or feet is hitting, even though they're the one doing the tackling. There's a lot of controversy, but... Derek gets what he wants. He gets the game versus the bigger guy. They get some David versus Goliath feelings to it. And Derek's wrestling skills and leverage and heart win the day and beats him. It's super memorable for so many reasons. It is the best elimination of the season. On to our third award, which is the best athletic performance of the season. And oh boy, buckle in because we've got to talk about Alton. We've got to talk about Alton and Landon. Before we do, let's give a couple quick shouts. We've got six nominees here, but most of them are made up by the same one or two people. So shout out to Kina in Sticky Situation, which we just talked about, an incredible performance. Shout out to Derek in Beach Brawl, which we just talked about, an incredible performance. Those two do get nominated here, but they're nowhere near winning. They cannot win because... Alton or Landon has to win this award because Alton is nominated four different times for this award, and three of those times it is a joint nomination between Alton and Landon. Let's run through them quickly. First, Alton, the solo nomination for Capture the Flag, both his time versus Adam and Jeremy. The speed with which he gets up the net is insane. It is a sight to behold. I will post it on the Instagram stories, but you'll blink and miss it because it's over so gosh darn fast. Incredible, incredible stuff from him. Next nomination, then, the first of three joint nominations between Alton and Landon. This season really was the Alton and Landon show. The two of them being on the same team and getting so many times daily challenges where two-person pairs did things for time was what an advantage it was for their team to have these two unbelievable athletes. Again, as I said before, I would take Alton this season as the best athlete in the history of the show. Landon right there with him. And, you know, Jordan Wisely being the only other one that's even in the same breath as these two is definitely right there with them. But by a a slight hair, I would take Alton this season. And this is why. Episode nine, there is a daily challenge called Balancing Act where you have to, there's two ropes uh, across two platforms over top of water. And you have to go across two, in pairs, you have to go across the ropes, each person standing on your own single rope but you get a little piece of rope to hold between you. So you kind of balance each other, pull and push against each other to stay up on your individual ropes and you shimmy across one platform to the other. 
No one can do it. The only single pair that gets the job done is Alton and Landon, and they do it first, literally first. No one else is gone. They don't get to watch everyone try to figure out what's a good strategy, how to do this. They go first. It does take them a moment. They think it through. They put their feet on and off the rope a couple times. They dive back onto the platform a time or two, but ultimately they go. They get it done. The only duo to do so, that gets them nominated. The next nomination, Alton and Landon again, episode 13, Easy Does It. This one, another one where duos are working together. You've got to jump in water, climb a ladder, and then there is a teeter-totter-like platform suspended about 20 or so feet up in the air that you then have to climb up onto and cross, even though it's going to teeter-totter as depending where your weight's on it. Get back on the ladder, climb all the way down into the water, and swim back. It's four-time. Now, four groups do get this one done. Four of the 10 pairs that get to try get this done. However... Alton and Landy get it done in a minute and 30 seconds. The next fastest is two minutes and 10. After that is three minutes and then three and a half minutes. So no one could do it anywhere near as fast as these two guys do it. And they make the climbing effortless, the teeter-totter part effortless. It's unbelievable. And then the third and final of the joint nominations for Alton and Landon. And obviously the two of them are just going to win this award jointly. If I had to pick between the three joint nominations, this last one would be it. That is the pit. And if I have to pick between Alton or Landon, I'm going to go with Alton as the actual winner of the award with, you know, Landon being right there on stage with him, accepting the award. But Alton's the one that gets to take the trophy home. We only make the one trophy here. And in the pit, episode 14, it's a daily challenge, one of the better daily challenge we referenced, but mostly because of this performance and the way they edited it to make it a cliffhanger, is they're all in this pit that uh, this handmade pit where there's three walls around it so that we can see in the rest of the way as a viewer and they've the whole team goes in it and it's i don't know maybe 15 feet high 12 to 15 feet high and they all have to climb out to the top platform one by one using themselves to help each other or the the pool noodles the bouncy ball duct tape and pantyhose are the items they're given that they also have to get all those items out with them as well And one team, the vets, cannot do it because in the end of it, they get down to where it's just Timmy left down in the bottom himself. And once they get down to the one person, he has no chance of getting up in any possible way. None of the stuff they have, materials are strong enough to actually hold a person, to drag them up. They can't figure it out. On the rookie side, the rookies go first. They get into a same situation. They go first and they end up with Landon by himself in the pit with no idea how he's going to get out. He tries to monkey climb the wall. It doesn't work. He tries to you know, build a rope out of pantyhose. It snaps. Build a rope out of, out of uh, pool noodles. They snap. No idea what to do. And Alton, his ass on the line, knows if they lose, male gauntlet, he's going in versus a very good competitor on their team that they can't stand to lose. So Alton says, and in the rules, you are not allowed to go back down into the pit, but you are allowed to hang back down as long as you don't fall. So Alton says, here, let me hang from the top of this just by my hands. I know if I fall, we lose. I'm taking taking the responsibility. I'm going to hang down. And as long as Landon can get a hand on my foot, he can climb up me and climb over the top. He does just that. It's incredible. And it's the difficulty level of Alton holding on through the whole thing is incredible. Landon climbing him is incredible. The other side, they have no chance at doing it. They think about maybe Mark's like, should we try that? And the whole team's like, that's never going to work. No one could do that. What are you talking about? So the fact that Alton gets out in this situation or that gets Landon out, is incredible. Alton and Landon the whole season long, climbing stuff, balancing on stuff, just 
being the athletes that they are, they take home, and Alton really on his own takes home the award for the best athletic performance of the season. Moving into the best quote of the season. This season, uh, a little light uh, still on the quote front. No no real stars. It's gonna. It's kind of hard to name a Dan Renzi award for the king, confessional king or queen of the season. But let's talk quotes first. We'll do that second. In chronological order, we got Derek in episode two is our first nominee. That when he learns that he is going into the gauntlet versus Adam, he just tells us what he needs to do to get ready for the war that is ahead. I did not expect this to happen. I'm going to give it my all, and uh, now it's my chance to step up. I'm going to brush my teeth and uh, get ready for the more. Then we're going to skip the second nominee. It's the one that wins. We'll come back to it at the end. We'll go all the way to episode five. Second nominee is Mark, who he and Robin's relationship and his off-show relationship with Jody. There's a brief moment, half an episode, where there's a little bit of a love triangle going on. Mark out at the club, the two women, with no real fighting or anything, just the whole situation's brought up. Mark's had a few drinks. He's exhausted. He's not loving at all. He ends up yelling at the bus driver to stop. He wants out of the bus. He wants away from all this stuff. And he comments that the show turns from one show into another. Take it away, Mark. It goes from Gauntlet 2 to the Jerry Springer show in about 2.2 seconds. Third nominee then is Cyrus. I referenced this earlier, but in the daily challenge, they are a couple different daily challenges they have to put on Speedos. I think I actually referenced it incorrectly earlier. This comes from the painting daily challenge where they all have to put on Speedos and it's called body painters and they have to put paint all over their bodies and then rub that paint onto canvases and completely cover one canvas at a time in a different color. It is hilarious. It is great. And there is a wonderful montage to start it of all of the guys putting on their speedos, feeling a little uncomfortable, except for our man Cyrus, who lets you know how uh, the type of man he is and where you can find him. Take it away, Cyrus. It's amazing what people will do for a little bit of cash. Well, we're not completely naked, but we're as close to it as we can be. I think a couple of these guys are stuffing their uh, Speedos full of things right now. I think the veteran team is a little bit self-conscious about being in them, but hey, you know, work with what you got. I need a bigger pair! <laughs> Terrible. And these damn Speedos cutting off all circulation and turning purple. Unless you're a swimmer, you got the big swimmer's back with the long torso, they can do this kind of thing. Size a whole lot of man. You can check me out at 976 Whole Lotta. That 976 Whole Lotta was a recent trivia question on All Star Season, which is great. Episode 13, TJ Lavin gets in on the best quote nominees with, we played it before, we will play it again though, but the third and final time he has to roast someone for quitting in the gauntlet ring to Beth, he drops this honor. I think you're scared. Um, no, I'm not Why are you scared, scared of Vanessa? I'm not scared. Well, how come so. you're still here? What do you mean, how come I'm still here? I told you to quit when the other quitters quit. Yeah! But while those four nominees are great, None of them are going to come close to the most iconic line from this season, without a doubt. One of the most iconic lines in challenge history. This one's way, way, way up there when we do the best quote ever in the history of the challenge. This one will be in the bracket, will be nominated for sure. Out of nowhere, 
Neither of them involved in the gauntlet at play. Anissa and Kara find themselves in a war of words across the gauntlet arena. They realize they don't, maybe they don't like each other, and Anissa absolutely lets Kara, Kara, I'm sorry, I did it again, god damn it. Let's Kara have it. Take it away, Anissa. I just said I wish you were on our team. I love you, Cam, but I it's the truth. That does sound love, love her. You don't know her. I don't know her. You don't know the f- I know. Are you kidding me, Kara? You can still care about somebody. Yeah. I wish you would get in the gun with me, bitch. You wouldn't leave it. How about it, bitch? You are so gross. You're like so gross because I lost 20 pounds and I'm hot now, so I feel like I can act any way I want. Suck my bitch. I don't really understand Anissa and her personality and the way she screams things and how she dresses. Not intimidated by her. She's crazy. I don't need a gauntlet, bitch. I will cut you with word. (laughs) Miss Karen. Now, bitch, you don't know me. You don't know who I know. You don't know what the I'm going to do to you if I didn't care about being here. I will cut you with words, words that live on and challenge infamy for a long, long time to come, still to this day. Very memorable. As we said, those those words will certainly be a part of the future best quote ever bracket that we will do when we get done. One of the many brackets, nominees, uh, awards, uh, debates, discussions that we will have when we do this to get through with this entire rewatch series and can start to look back at the entire history of the show this will definitely be brought up. Anissa, you are the winner for the quote of the year. And we do have to give someone the Dan Renzi King or Queen, Confessional King or Queen of the Season award. And while, you know, we, you know, Anissa gets the best quote, but it doesn't come in the confessional, so we can't, she, she's not really that prevalent in the confessionals. Really, we've got to give it to Derek, actually. Uh, he has by far the most confessionals of the season. Um, and since this one's a little bit lighter on the entertainment side, a lot more narrative and just how you're feeling going into eliminations and whatnot. But Derek, if someone's got to win and someone does have to win, Derek, you are the winner of the Dan Renzi Confessional King of the Season Award. Anissa, you get the best quote. As for the most iconic moment of the gauntlet too, and remember a few seasons back, we changed this from the best moment um, to reflect more, the most iconic, the most memorable, the most infamous in many cases, whatever version of it you want to kind of look at, the one, the most top of mind when I say the gauntlet two, what comes to mind? That's usually going to be the person or the idea or the, the moment that wins this award. So the most iconic moment for this season, nominees in order, First one, episode one and two, Joe freaks out and leaves. We talked about it at length before. We recapped the whole thing. That is obviously certainly a nominee, as we said it would be. Then second one, kind of a joint nomination, the whole compilation of TJ talking about quitters. We played all of them before. We're not going to play them again. But the four different times where he has to talk to quitters, call quitters out, talk about how much he doesn't like quitters, All of those rolled into one, if they could be rolled into one. Um, We're going to allow them to be rolled into one to get nominated, uh, not quite to win this award because they are a bunch of different moments, but they all kind of come as a package deal. Third nominee, we just played it for you, just won the best quote, but it is also one of the best moments because it's much more than just that single quote, and it actually ties into the first time that TJ's calling out quitters, but Anissa's, I will cut you with words back and forth with Kara. That is definitely nominated. 
Another nominee for the iconic moment of the season that we talked about before, Derek's beach brawl win over Cyrus. That elimination definitely stands out as one of the biggest, most iconic and memorable moments of this season. Then the final veterans team deliberation and Derek freaking out and breaking the table during the voting process. That entire moment, we haven't mentioned it before, but it gets down to the final male gauntlet. The veterans lose. Derek is pissed. He's got to go in one more time, a fifth time. They don't know who to put in versus him. Derek wants David in there because David jogged a little bit during the final daily challenge. The rest of the team, though, kind of wants Timmy a little bit, mostly because Timmy wants Timmy. Timmy volunteers himself. Derek won't have it. He says, we got to vote. They make everyone vote. Two people abstain. The rest end up in a tie vote for Derek or for Timmy and David. They make everyone vote again. It's a tie again. Derek is furious at this point. They're all telling him, Derek, you've just got to pick. If you're not going to let Timmy volunteer, you've got to pick. He starts kicking the table. He kicks the legs out, all four legs of the table. Eventually, he kicks out. He's storming around. He's talking a bunch. It's all absolute madness. What am I supposed to do, huh? You know, my conscience is saying David, but he wants to step up, you know? That's what I'm getting. That's what I'm getting. What the f do I do? It's not that easy. And I wish my teammates could have just made a decision for me. I don't want to be the person having to choose what's best for the team. Oh! I gave my heart out every challenge and every gauntlet. Damn, all I want is just one today. Just one. Of those nominees, then that's you know that's five of them for you. It's 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 very obvious what it's got to be. If we if you say the gauntlet two, the first thing everyone thinks about is Joe freaking out and leaving, calling the police, leaving the island of Tobago, and uh, that that's got to be the winner of the moment of the iconic moment of the season. Quick shout out though to the kind of the honorable mention little moments category that we like to always do. There was a bunch of them this season, but five worth quickly touching on. Katie, in pretty much her only appearance of the whole season, Katie is, as we'll talk about momentarily, really in the background, background player this season, but she shows Danny and others how much she can burp on command earlier in the season, and it's hilarious and gross and wonderful all at the same time. Now, I was telling everybody today that Theo and Adam describe me as the most disgusting girl they've ever met. Because I did this. <laughs> then this season also features the credits scenes that I've talked the last couple rewatch podcasts about. These things are amazing. They need to bring it back. It gives us these little glimpses into fun moments. And one of those comes in episode three, the credit scene, David and Timmy retelling story time. Last time they were together on a golf course on a challenge Weird, crazy stuff went down. Loved that little story from them. Episode six, we get the entire, the guys putting on the Speedos, the MJ feeling sexy, Cyrus Holato. We played that for you before. We won't have to do that again. Episode eight, Ace's, eight, episode eight, Ace's speech goodbye. Ace loses but goes out as only Ace can. Let's hear that one from him quickly. All right, I got 15 minutes. I got to pack and party. Party in my room. Everybody's invited. Remember this. This is all about friendships, experiences, making the most of life. Because I guarantee 30 years from now, you're not going to miss the 30,000 bucks 
but you will remember the friendships. Thank you guys. Thank you so much. I put my heart and my soul into this one. You know, I came up with some ideas. I did the best I can. I sacrificed myself for the team. You know what? Sometimes the cards don't fall right. Just love everything about Ace on the challenge. Love everything about that moment. And then episode 14, another credit sequence, Timmy brushing his teeth. Uh, it's The audio for it's not great because it's a lot of him brushing his teeth, but it's hilarious. He ends up sticking up his nose and his ears, all kinds of things. Bring back the end credit scene, please, and thank you as soon as possible. Challenge gods, a.k.a. challenge producers. But Joe freaking out and leaving the island, that's the iconic moment of the season for sure. As for the best episode of the season, if you were only ever going to get to watch one episode from this season, it would be one of these three, certainly. Episode one, two, or eight. Episode one, throwing down the gauntlet. It's the Royal Rumble Daily. It's the premiere. They reveal the format. Mark's big birthday party. Joe freaks out. All kinds of crazy good stuff. Or episode two, another nominee. Derek steps it up. Episode title. First season where they change the episode titles to something that isn't just the name of the daily challenge. Episode two saw Derek versus Adam elimination. Joe leaving. A pretty good daily challenge. A lot of good stuff going on there. And then the third and final nominee for the best episode of the season rookie movies episode eight this is the episode the alliance revelation happens there's a very solid daily challenge that takes place Derek wears this incredible blue knit hat that looks like it's straight out of a bad mario party game Derek versus ace elimination aces goodbye a lot of good stuff happens there and i also believe it's called rookie moves not rookie movies i think that was a typo on my part putting that in my notes but episode one throwing down the gauntlet it's the best episode of the season Pretty incredible that the premiere episode, which usually the premiere episodes really set in the table as, you know, a premiere episode's meant to do, usually don't grade out that high, but this one just so crazy. I mean, they had the big party. It's cool. Joe freaks out. It's crazy. The Royal Rumble's the best daily. The format revealed all of that. And this season as a whole is very front-loaded. It starts off the first five episodes of this season. I, I grade every single episode all the way through. And as you know, I am a strict grader. So when I say something's, you know, a C plus or whatever, that isn't that isn't bad by any means. Anything in the B range is legitimately good. Anything in the A range is like, it's very difficult to get in the A range. It's really, really hard for a reason because those that do are all-time great, great stuff. This season starts out in order. A, B plus, B minus, B minus, B minus. That's the first five episodes. That is a run few seasons have seen. But then the rest of the way, almost the entire rest of the season is almost C's and C pluses, occasional B minus mixed in there. So this season is very front loaded. All the interesting stuff's kind of happening up front. There's some good athletic performances throughout the back half. You know, the competition is tight and everything, but this really is one of those seasons where it's it's awesome to start and then it kind of settles into uh, above average, but just nothing really above that. We'll talk more about that when we rate the season in a moment, but we've got one more award to hand out before we do that. The biggest one of all, the season MVP. Let's talk about it. Time to talk some performances, and before we do the MVP, let's talk rookie of the season, which there's only four true rookies in a season where one team is called the rookies. There's only four actual first-time players on the season. That would be MJ, Jillian, Danny, and Joe. So those are the only four candidates for the spot, and really, it's an easy decision. It's MJ all the way. Uh, He's a beast this season. He adds to the kind of trifecta when you add him to the Alton Landon on the guy's side is just incredible what they're able to do in a lot of the daily challenges and how stacked they are athletically. And MJ uh, definitely, you know, Jillian holds her own, has a pretty solid season, makes it close to the end. But 
MJ gets all the way to the end. He wins. He has some great performances throughout. So MJ is the rookie of the season, the second straight real-world Philadelphia cast member to win the rookie of the season on the challenge, which takes us into the season MVP, the big award, the one everyone wants to get. Who will become our 11th MVP? Could someone win it for a second time? There is previous MVP winners in this cast. Mark Long, Landon, Ruthie. We've got folks who have won it before. Could they win it again? That turns out not to be the case. Not not quite. Actually, not even really close. None of those folks that have said come anywhere near winning it. We'll start with the where were you's, the ones the when I look back on this season and I just kind of wonder how were they not more a part of what was going on, of storylines, of anything? How did we get so little of them? And there's three people this season that fall in the where were you category. That would be, let me pull my stats back up here really, really quick, but that would be <laughs> Jamie Murray, Katie Doyle, and Landon Luke. Obviously, Landon, we did talk about on the athletic side, he shows up, shows out a handful of times performance-wise. So we get a little from him. Maybe he shouldn't even be on this, but coming off an MVP rookie season where he's everywhere, he's not just dominating competition, but he's in storylines. He's having a blast. He's cutting his hair. He's doing all kinds of wild stuff. He is very much in the background here. When they need an incredible athletic moment, he's there to partner up with Alton and give it. Otherwise, he's not there at all. But then we got Jamie Murray and Katie Doyle, both of which have I did not do the full the full math the full breakdown on this so I can't say with a hundred percent confidence but I'm pretty dang sure without a doubt the lowest ever confessionals per episode for someone who makes a final in the season who is on every single episode they are both less than one confessional per episode they're in 17 episodes and Jamie Murray has 11 total confessionals and Katie has 12 and those were all gifts. None of them were even because they were involved in anything. It was basically just a, almost half of Jamie's, I think, were just on guys' day. They would occasionally ask him, do you think, you know, if you guys lose, uh, is Alton going to pick you? And he'd be like, no, I think I'm good, and Alton likes me, so he's not going to pick me. And that would be the end of that. They couldn't be more in the background, which for Jamie goes, you know, in lockstep with what he's been. He's a killer athlete. He wins all three seasons of the show that he's on. Um, but he's he's kind of quiet. He's just there to have a good time. He comes to this season coming off a stint with staying at a Buddhist monastery. Seems to be very, you know, keeping to himself, doing a lot of meditating, just kind of in the background. Katie, on the other hand, Katie and we'll even throw in Julie into this portion of the conversation. Very interesting uh, look into the difference a season can make for cast members early on and the difference who they're casted with, what stories they're a part of, what edit they get, what type of person or character you would think they are. Because if you only ever watched The Gauntlet 2, you'd think to yourself, man, Katie seems like a wonderful person, a little quiet, a little kind of just in the background, but seems really funny and fun and just, you know, kind of nice. And everyone seems to like her and she's just kind of there. She's just, uh, uh, you know, along to have a good time and, and a uh, lovely human being. Same thing on Julie. You'd be like, Oh, Julie got some spirit about her, you know, is good, good team leader, good competitor. And just kind of is there to, you know, anytime someone's down feeling, you know, not feeling that great. She gives them a little pep talk. She gives her team pep talks, good strategy, but kind of in the background, just relaxed player. You wouldn't have any idea who they've been on previous seasons of these shows, the storylines they've had previously. And it just goes to show that, one, 
some seasons, how much the edit really does matter. And maybe we're not getting a hundred percent accurate portrayal of who someone is. And two, that people not only change, but just circumstances change and they could be the same person. But if they're with a cast of people they like versus totally dislike, or if they're the outcast of their team versus on the inside of like, a, not even a main alliance, but just a main friendship group. If they're given competitions where they can excel versus ones that really play on their weaknesses, people are a whole different people season to season on this show. Katie and Julie definitely represent that. Now, let's move into the only person who falls in the gone too soon category, the only person who maybe if she would have made it further into the season could have ended up on this MVP ballot. That was Ruthie, who's having a great season, is one of, I would put her, if I had to rank the female competitors on this season, she's second to Kina's incredible performance. But Ruthie ends up losing to Beth midway through. If not for that loss, if not for that what if of of TJ talking Beth into competing, there's a strong possibility that Ruthie goes the whole season as the female or the cap, the female captain of the veterans team and has the same type of storyline as a Derek, as uh, an Alton and Akina and ends up right up near the top of this MVP ballot where those other captains end up as we were about to talk about. Let's get to the actual top five, the ballot, uh, One of the easiest ballots to fill out in uh, MVP history here. The winner was pretty clear cut. The top three was extraordinarily clear cut. There was a a moment where I considered, do we even have a top five? Is this purely a top three? But to keep it, I want to have a top five every single season just for historical purposes to be able to look back. You know, it matters if you end up anywhere in the top five of a season in a cast of 32, you're one of the five, you know, MVP level people. That's pretty good. That matters for people's resumes down the line. So while it felt like this was really a top three, we added two more to the back end of it. Timmy comes in fifth place. Timmy, another great season. He's such a great challenge competitor and person and persona and character. Some of his confessionals are the best. He has a bunch of like half of the end credit scenes that are always such a great time. Feature him doing something funny. He's a class act. He's a funny guy. He's doing hilarious stuff. He's competing really well. He's one of the leaders of his team. And he does enough, gets there into the end to find his way into that fifth spot that was wide open. Anyone could have taken it. Timmy grabbed it in the fourth spot for the MVP ballot. I don't know. Uh, we've never set the rules of if if a host could make it into the MVP ballot. But uh, since those rules were never set, and I'm the one who would set them anyways, we're going to go ahead and say TJ Lavin is eligible for MVP votes. And he got a lot this season. He is fourth place on the MVP of this season um, because uh, his impact is way greater than most of these cast members in the end for just all the quitting, um, the refereeing he has to do. It's his first season, pulling off the effective twist at the start. He has an amazing introduction season to the challenge world, and he gets himself on the MVP ballot. I don't know. There will be many seasons where he finds his way there, but this one, his first, he certainly does. He really, I guess, if he's on the MVP ballot, you could argue he should win Rookie of the Year as well, and maybe retroactively I got to name him the Rookie of the Year over MJ. I'm going to let MJ keep that. I'm going to let. I'm going to keep Rookie of the Year cast only, but MVP – TJ might not ever have a chance, even if he were to deserve it, to win the MVP, but I think he's allowed to be nominated, get the votes in a circumstance where it's hard to fill out the bottom of the ballot as it is here. But then we move into the top three, and the top three are clear, cut, and dry, no doubt about it, not even close. We've talked a lot about them through this podcast. We won't belabor it too much here, but Kina and Alton come in. You want to call it tie for second. You want to put Kina in second, Alton in second, the other in third, whatever way you want to spin it. 
I would just say tie for second. The wire-to-wire champion captains of the rookie team, both with incredible athletic performances, both, you know, the center of the storylines, which is pretty much just them being on the chopping block at all times, having to lead their team to victory, leading their team to victory in large part, winning gauntlets when they needed to, going wire-to-wire, the whole thing. Both of them involved in romances this season, Kina and Randy, who I love to death. One of my favorite challenge couples of all time. Way, way, way up there for sure on that list that will one day be created as well. Love the two of them together. Alton and Jody get a little thing going. They have a hilarious moment where Jody, they're both coming off breakups uh, and Jody straight up ass Alton and then and then hates herself for saying the words out loud, but says, am I your transition girl? And Alton being the honest gentleman that he is, uh, maybe with not the greatest delivery of all time though, essentially says, yeah, you pretty much are. We should just be friends, huh? And Jody's like, yeah, if that's your answer, then yes, we should just be friends and friends. They are, but they're wonderful. They're great. Kena and Alton second and third, third and second, however you want to split it tied for second. They just come shy. And yet again, the season MVP goes to someone who did not actually end up on the winning team. And this time did not even end up in the final, but was so, 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 so close was in every single episode. The MVP of the gauntlet two is Derek Kaczynski. He is without a doubt, the most valuable cast member on this season. If you take him out, this season is dead completely. It is just, you know, his story, even above Alton and Kina, who are going through the exact same thing and kind of having the exact same story. His is amplified by the fact that, you know, on the rookie side with, with Alton and Kina, it's like, all right, well, they are clearly the best athletes on their team. So, yes, they, their ass is always on the line, but if they go into the gauntlet, they're the favorite no matter what gauntlet you put them in versus Derek on the other side where it's constantly, well, he's the little guy. and We, we don't know yet. We haven't learned yet. We learned this season. This is the season where it becomes obvious and true that Derek is just an absolute ferocious, will-never-quit badass, and he is the underdog in multiple of his elimination wins. He is the leader who, at the beginning of the season, is thrown into the gauntlet because he shows horrible leadership in the first ever deliberation, who then learns to becomes a great leader who his team respects, un, undying respect and gratitude for him. He leads the way. He does a fantastic job, comes full circle in that. But then at the last minute, ends up breaking the table in the final deliberation, losing it and losing the final gauntlet not making it to that final mission everyone's so sad about it it's such a big moment he has you know the best elimination of the season one of some of the best athletic performances the best you know is nominated for best quote all of the above he's everywhere this season he is without a doubt this is his kind of even though it's not one of the seasons he wins and he will go on to win multiple seasons in the future this feels like the you know the most Derek season Derek's ever had his kind of his you know kind of magnum opus if you will his real masterpiece of just everything you need to know about Derek Kaczynski great guy ferocious competitor heart of a lion absolute bulldog we learn it all here. We see it all here. The evolution from shitty leader. And I think even if I would be willing to tell him to his face, I bet he would say, yeah, wasn't a great leader, figured it out over the time of that. And by the end of the season is a fantastic leader that everyone, even on the other team, is completely disheartened by the fact that he won't be in the final mission thinking he deserves it so much. So the 11th member of the illustrious MVP club. No one goes back to back. No one gets two time yet. Maybe it'll happen in the future, but for now, Derek joins the ranks 
of Challenge Season MVPs. And with that, there is only one thing left to do, but it is the most important thing we have to do on this podcast. We've got to give the season a grade. We've talked about the dailies, the eliminations, the storylines, the performances, the quotes, the moments, every single thing, the evolutions, all of it. We've talked about it all. So now let's decide once and for all what we will grade this season out to be, where it will go in the list, in the order, in the pantheon of challenge seasons before and eventually after it as well. And as we have done all of the first 10 seasons, let's break this down. Female cast, male cast, sport grade, show grade. There's two portions of the cast. We break those up in half. There's two pillars of the show, the sport and the show. Let's break those up. Let's give them each an individual grade to get to our overall letter grade at the end. And as always, Quick reminder, I'm a harsh grader. It takes a lot to get an A. Anything in the B range is good. Anything in the C range is still fine. It's either average to above average. It keeps the process going. If it's a D, that's when we got real problems. If it's an F, you set the franchise back in a big way. So that's a quick recap of this particular historian's grading scale. Let's talk female cast first. As we've been doing the last few seasons, we break it up into heavy hitters, solid competitors, and absolute duds. Respectfully, absolute duds. But this season on the female side does come with its fair share of heavy hitters. We got Anissa, Julie, Katie, Robin, Beth, Ruthie, Jody. Those are all big time names in the challenge world. Seven of them in this cast of women, seven out of 16. Pretty good percentage of heavy hitters, and almost all of them make it to the very end, with the only one being Beth, who doesn't, who is a heavy hitter mostly on her reputation as a antagonist and a quitter, which both of those are true this season, so lives up to that. Solid competitors, then we got Kina, who... I adore so much. I want to put her as a heavy hitter. That's objectively not true. Her you know, reputation wouldn't be top of mind in the challenge world, but super solid competitor who I just adore, 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 and obviously had an incredible season here coming in runner-up on the MVP voting, as well as Susie and Jillian, both really solid challenge careers from this point before and after this point. Solid contributors on this season. The duds of the season on the female cast side, then Montana, Yasella, Abyss, Kara, uh, Cameron and Joe. That's kind of a lot. Six out of, you know, 16 on the dud side that brings it down a bit. Now, most of those people went home earlier, which is helpful. You know, Joe and Cameron uh, or in Yasella and Montana, kind of four quickest to go. Abyss is the only one of these that makes it all the way to the end. Kara comes close. But Overall female cast grade, we're going to go with a B minus. It does slide just enough. It's got enough of those heavy hitters to really to keep it in that B minus range. But while then some solid players in the middle there, just a few too many duds to get it up any higher. And that slots it in middle to lower third of the list of female casts we've had so far 11 seasons in. Then on the male side, uh, male side, a little bit better than the female side. Heavy hitters front. We got Mark, Timmy, Derek, Brad, Cyrus, Alton, Jamie, Landon. That's a murderer's row. That's that's pretty incredible. That's eight out of 16. Half of the male cast falling in the heavy hitters category. Then on the solid front, David, Ace, MJ, Randy, Adam, Adam, and Jeremy. All solid contributors in their challenge careers and within this season. The only single dud I would say would be Danny, who... Goes out with a bang in this season for sure, but 
would still list in that dud category. But that's pretty incredible. Only one out of 16 falls in that dud category. A lot of solid, a lot of heavy hitters. Makes for a really good, just shy of absolutely great male cast. We slot that at a B plus just behind a couple of the all-time male casts that we've had the last few seasons prior to this. Then on the sport front, we're going to go with a B grade. Just a B, not a minus, not a plus. B, flat B, sport grade. There's some great eliminations which really keep this grade afloat. The dailies really were kind of average across the board, but it does matter a little bit that they bring in that evolution of the new water over heights apparatus. It does matter a lot that while some of them weren't the coolest daily challenges in the world, so many of them were super duper tight races in the show aspect of these sports were really competitive and interesting and enthralling and exciting because of how close some of the matchups were. So that part of it is great. And there was obviously, as we talked about, some incredible athletic performances. A few people dominated that, but you know, you throw in the Kinas and the Derricks along with the Altons and the Landons, and you got some great performances. So sport grade, we give a B. And then a show grade, we talked about it before. We'll reiterate again. It starts so, so strong, but then it dies out kind of in the middle. It becomes very average, and it remains that way the rest of the season. The formula that we talked about in the evolutions portion of this podcast where it they really just go hard on the we're going to have house, daily challenge, deliberation, gauntlet, maybe possibly a little house again after really makes it so that you know the show itself, the storylines outside of the game being played, really don't get a lot of breathing room. There isn't really much of that as, you know, we kind of, you know, grasp the straws to find a few to talk about during the storyline segment. But the strong start does keep things afloat enough to the show grade we're going to put at a B minus. So to recap, female cast B minus, male cast B plus, sport grade B, show grade B minus, overall grade, then we're going to go with a B minus where we throw the minus on there. We're back and forth between a B and a B minus um, influenced a lot by the fact that, you know, TJ's here. That's amazing. Derek star turn. He's one of the all time legends of legends in the game to have his star turn, his MVP season, big, big deal. Uh, the show gets a lot more physical. We learn a huge lesson on the final. The final is a dud. We didn't talk about it at all. I'll mention it here. The final mission Instead of where a few seasons in a row where they're doing a lot of running, triathlons, a puzzle here at the end, uh, you know, cap it off. They go this time. Three events. You can bet on each event. It ends up turning into an eating contest, 12 pounds of roadie. The veterans put all 248, which is the maximum of their 250 tokens, down on that contest. They lose in a photo finish, therefore losing any chance of winning the final challenge. It's over. They don't even do the little racing part. They don't even do the memory puzzle game. It's just over like that. It's a failed experiment in a challenge. They learn a lot from it. It is like interesting in the moment because they literally have to review the tape to see who wins the eating portion, but... They learn a big lesson there. So there's there's lots of greatness. There's lots of seeds for the future greatness of this show. But the the lower rated, it, you know, it it is lower rated. It keeps the momentum of the franchise going, is what we're trying to say. B minus puts it at seventh out of the eleven seasons so far. It only beats Sexes One, which is still the lowest rated season of all time. Sexes two, extreme challenge and road rules all stars. So one, four, nine, and five or six are the four seasons it beats out. But 
It's still solid. It still gets into that B category with the B minus, and it has those seeds of greatness. TJ, Derek, the more physical game, learning what to not do in a final challenge. A lot of lessons learned, a lot of seeds planted for greatness that would thrive in the future. But overall, the season gets a B minus. It's in seventh place right now out of 11. That is where it stands in the pantheon of challenge seasons for all time in pen until we need to erase, and then we'll find some erasable pen if we ever need to backtrack and figure anything out. But for now, that is where it ends the season. And with that, we have covered it all. The Gauntlet 2 is in the books. Talked about it all through TJ Lavins here. Rejoice for that. And while it it falls the seventh in the overall rankings out of 11 so far, it's still a wonderful season, still a season I love re-watching. And if you haven't, if you did not binge along with me before listening to this podcast, I totally encourage you to hit up Paramount Plus, fire it up, watch it back. A lot of good stuff worth reliving. As always, go to the Challenge Historian on Instagram, follow along throughout the rest of this week. I will be posting a bunch of clips, all the award winners, some other funny moments from it. So a bunch of stuff. If instead of binging the entire thing, you just want to binge the best clips of the best clips, you can find that over on Instagram at the Challenge Historian. Follow us there. Follow us here on this podcast. I thank you for being here listening. Hit that follow, hit that subscribe button. And as we said at the top of this podcast, if you wouldn't mind, if you're liking what you're hearing, if you're still here listening, listening right now at this very point, then there's a good chance that you're someone who can be a wonderful, wonderful soul. Drop us a five-star rating. Help us get discovered by more and more challenge fans like yourself out there. I will be back again twice more this week. All-Stars 3 finale, Challenge USA premiere. So much great stuff happening in the world of challenge. Thank you for being here. Thank you for enjoying this ride with me. Until we talk again tomorrow, peace.